Dennis Hall gets a little bit controversial in our latest episode. I ask him to take us through the different types of risk we should be aware of, and he takes us back to his intense dislike of tick box exercises and highlights again why a balanced portfolio is a risk in itself. Welcome to Season 2 of The Century Plan, a podcast that looks at financial independence, how you achieve it and how you maintain it during a lifetime which may see people born today living to age 100. With me, Dennis Hall, Chartered Financial Planner and owner of Yellowtail Financial Planning. And me, Sarah Steele. I'm co-director at Yellowtail, but on the podcast I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, the consumer. So, Sarah, I was doing a presentation this morning to a group of lawyers. You were sat in on that one. Yeah. And as I left, you collared me and said, that'd be good for a podcast. Um, But we've done risk before, so why? Well, yes, that's right. We have covered risk before and we've covered risk profiling. um, And we've talked about why we shouldn't focus on volatility and that there are other types of risk. But we haven't really gone into those in detail. And so I thought we could do that today. Okay. I mean, were there any... Uh, what I don't want to do is give the whole presentation. I've got 30 slides in front of me. We don't want that because um, I saw some people's eyes glazing over bits of it, the history of regulation. Um, <laughs> but were there any bits in there that you thought were interesting or maybe you should just kick off with? Yeah, well, I think it was the moment when you asked whether the group had actually completed a risk profiling questionnaire themselves, and they all had, and then you... you went to hazard a guess that most of them would come out as balanced investors. And, uh, well, most people nodded their head at that. Yeah, well, except apart from, yeah, <laughs> two. Two, yeah. Yeah, one who, who said that she was a sort of hide your cash under the mattress type, and the other who felt she was more high risk. But, but they were definitely, they definitely perked up at that moment. I know, out of a group of three. <laughs> <laughs> no, there were more than that. <laughs> so... Well, I think what I was was to try and set the scene first, because, you know, I've been doing or giving financial advice since the mid-80s, and risk profiling questionnaires weren't in use when I first started. In fact, they weren't being used even when regulation came in, in 1988. And I didn't really see risk profiling questionnaires in any great numbers until around... The dot-com crash, 2000 or thereabouts, when suddenly people were saying, you know, investing all their money in sort of technology funds, seeing probably 90% of their value of investment um, being lost, and then wanting to complain. Yeah. Because about that time, we had someone to complain to for the first time, mm-hmm. an ombudsman service and a compensation scheme. And I suppose it's at that point when there is some regulatory compensation Compliance departments say, well, I suppose we need some method of standardising the advice, making sure that people don't go into high-risk investments with their life savings. And so they create risk profiling tools. And for about, well, from around 2000 to 2008, I saw these being introduced more and more and more. And they were accepted. I think we all accepted that that was probably a good starting point to, to have a conversation but now we've begun almost to rely on them as the mm. driver for what people should be doing and how they're investing. 
And I think that's leading to potentially poor long-term outcomes. Yeah, and so this is this is something that I know you're passionate about when we covered it before. Um, so, but what really got me was that I think they felt very familiar to, familiar with the concept of volatility, but you had a, a slide that went through all the various, well, not even all the various other types of risks, but plenty of others that people really ought to be aware of. And if they're only focusing on that one, then it, it, that's the risk itself. It is. Well, the next question is, do focus on volatility. And I think we frame it, the whole question about risk tolerance, mm. we frame it wrongly in order to drive the wrong responses mm. in a way. It's a bit, if you get a risk profiling questionnaire, it reminds me a bit like the hospital pain scale. Yeah. So you walk in a hospital and on a scale of one to 10, green happy face, red angry face, where are you on the pain threshold? And, and people who say, well, I'm, I'm sort of yellow, I'm moderate or, or whatever. And we then try and link that almost to risk mm. and say, well, green smiley face, no pain is cash. Mm-hmm. Red angry face, sad, is putting all your money in the stock market. Yeah. And on the assumption that no pain, no gain, how much risk do you think you can take? And people then tend to plot themselves somewhere in the middle, say, well, I can take a little bit of risk if I'm going to get a bit of gain. And we're framing investments in shares and equities as somehow being painful. Yeah. And... In the short term, if we're measuring volatility, i.e. how much something goes up and down, well, I think most people would like a straight line versus a a, a bumpy line. But if the straight line is not going to get you very high and the bumpy line over a period of time is going to get you higher, Mm. you know, when we start putting the beginning and end results as just numerical values, nobody wants to be in cash over the next 30 years with their retirement fund, they all want to be in the, they want the returns they get from equity. So the framing of the questionnaire is wrong. And it does lead to people to taking drivers. And I think, you know, you were right. And I think you're right. That if we are just talking about risk as being volatility, it is going to lead to I suppose, incorrect responses when there are so many other areas of risk that we should be concentrating on. There are so many areas like market risk. So it doesn't matter which market you're in. You could be buying property, you could be buying wine, you could be buying shares, you could be buying deposits, interest rates. I mean, we saw the period when interest rates were double digit in, you know, in my period that I've been advising, I've seen people with 10% interest rates in deposits suddenly getting 1%. There is risk in any market. There is also liquidity risk, you know, putting all your money in uh, into things that are tied up. So I, I put all my money into, I don't know, a, a three-year fixed rate bond and then suddenly find I can't access it when I need it. Or put all my money in a property and find out the property market slumped and I can't sell it. Mm. And we've seen that with property funds recently yeah. that have, you know, that suddenly closed and said, you know, until we sell all the property in this fund, we're not opening. Your money's there. It's stuck. There's concentration risk, just being too much money in one place or one company. Yeah, that you know, whatever that market is, there's a risk of by being too concentrated. Then there's credit risk, 
So people say, well, I'm going to go into bonds. Bonds are safe. By the very name, they sound safe. But if you've got corporate bonds issued by high-risk corporations, um, you know, the, the government might be giving you 3% on a, on, a, on a gilt and a company might give you 7%. There's a reason why they're giving more. It's higher risk. But some of the other risks that we really need to be aware of is inflation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a generation of people now that have been saving for the last 10 years or so, um, if not more, and have not seen inflation, really. It's been very manageable. But now we, we've, we've, we've briefly had inflation in double-digit figures. Um, you know, a 10% inflation rate is going to halve the value of your money in about seven years. So you've got to be doing something to, uh, to combat inflation risk. Horizon risk, I think, is just taking too short a view. You know, we, we seem to think about wanting to access our money in three years' time, yet if you're in your 30s and you're putting money away into a, into a pension fund, you're probably not going to access that for 30, 35 years, maybe longer. Mm. Um, so if you choose the right horizon, because if you're making investment decisions based on three years and it's a 30-year investment, you're likely to make the wrong decision. Then there's longevity risk. I have seen this in my, in my lifetime and in my career, how life expectation has increased significantly. Mm. People were dying in their sort of mid to late 70s on average when I first started. Now it's a sort of mid to late 80s. And there's a high probability of people living into their 90s. Yeah. And I know it's sort of relevant to the lawyers we were talking with, but that Duxbury calculation that you mentioned, where where people are sort of calculating something to a certain age, you know, life expectancy, I don't know, 80, 83, 84, and, and so a sum of money is, is, um, is chosen. Yeah, yeah. And calculate say, a sum of money yeah. designed to pay out a, 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 a certain amount of income over time to... To a, an assumed date of death. Well, we don't know when we're going to die. You know, some of the brightest mathematical brains, actuaries got this wrong in the 70s and 80s and 90s with our final salary pension schemes. When they were funding these pension schemes, assuming that their retirees and their employees were going to die a particular age, and then finding out that they weren't dying, mm. they're going to have to pay out this money for longer, and the schemes were underfunded. That's why they're all closing. Yeah. Yeah. Or closed. Yes. So, you know, there are different risks that we need to look at. And I think if if all we're doing is asking people, in fact, if you're, a, if, if, if you're going in to make an investment and you're given a risk profiling questionnaire to fill it in, you should be asking why. Yeah. What is this doing for me? Under, under what circumstances is my degree of comfort around volatility going to help me? because I need to suck it up and take the volatility if that's what I need to do. The other part of financial planning should be around making sure that, that the right amount of money is available to me at the right time in order to live the quality and standard life that I want to. And so the money I'm putting away today, I might not need for 30 years. It shouldn't matter whether I... You know, the volatility shouldn't really matter. I should have enough money in sort of um, highly liquid areas for, to meet my immediate emergency needs 
as I approach retirement, I should ensure that I've got enough money to meet sort of maybe three to five years worth of drawdown needs if the stock market falls. But the idea of it all turning to cash at the point I'm going to retire is ridiculous. Mm. I yeah, think. I think that's the thing. We're very much focused on that retirement date and think, right, that's it. That's as long as my money needs to work for. It, and but it it's doesn't. Not. That's just the halfway point. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then you're starting to draw down, but it has to remain invested. You, you will run out of money if you be too if you're too cautious. And I, I I might have said this before, but I've met plenty of older people in their eighties where they filled in a risk profiling questionnaire. They, you know, I worked in a bank. They filled in a risk profiling questionnaire, and it said you're a balanced investor. Mm-hmm. And yet, they've, the, the the majority of their savings have been in a well diversified portfolio. And they have said, if you think I'm selling all of that stuff, which has served me incredibly well, by the way, to put it into that, you've got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, because they've gone through cycle after cycle, they've lived through volatility, and they have seen how investing in the stock market and real assets of that nature is always going to be better over the long term yeah. than being a safe cash investor. And well, I know you have plenty of evidence to show that. I mean, you have plenty of graphs this morning. Plenty of graphs. I've got lots and lots of big, thick books um, uh, and um, subscriptions to to, charts and data and everything. It's it's evidence. And that's what I like is is evidence. So evidence-based investing, evidence-based risk, and rather than the emotional conversation, you know, oh, I'm I'm a bit worried. I I like to be able to touch and feel and see my money. I want it on cash. Um, yeah. have the harder conversation the emotional conversation but why do you feel like that and what should we do don't fill in a questionnaire it's not there for you it's there for a compliance department mm. controversial I know <laughs> but, but it's not a regulatory requirement good point it's not there is nothing I've read in the regulations that say you have to fill in a risk profiling questionnaire what it asks is that anyone giving advice needs to know their customer, mm. their client. They need enough about them. We need to understand someone's capacity to take risk, their capacity for loss, not whether they're comfortable yeah. with markets going up and down. So really naturally, you should feel a slight degree of discomfort um, yeah, or and of, yeah. at least be talked around it. So if, you, if you're currently sitting there listening to this thinking, well, yes, I, I, I have come out as a balanced investor. But, you know, this is the time to think about why. Uh, go back to one of our previous podcasts where we've talked about the risk with risk profiling and, and rules trumping data as well. I think in that one we talked about, um, you know, well, I know your portfolio is, I don't know, Almost 100%, 100% yeah. in, in equities. Yeah, yeah. But just it's just something to consider. Uh, I think it's the safety net of a risk profiling, risk profiling questionnaire that advisors use because if anything seemingly goes wrong, then it's something that they can fall but back on. But you told us you were balanced. Yeah. But if the advisor's retired at the same time as you're retiring and then 20 years later you run out of money, you could sit back on a risk profiling tool. Well, it told me I was balanced. Mm. Well, yeah, but it didn't tell you we were going to run out of money. No. 
which is far more important. So, yes, I am being controversial. I hate risk profiling questionnaires because I think in the wrong hands, and very often it's the wrong hands, mm -hmm. that they're going to lead people to take suboptimal choices with their money. Okay. And that's probably... On that bombshell, yeah. as they used to say on Top Gear, <laughs> on that bombshell, we'll say goodnight. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>